Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Today we're talking about the jurisdictional defense of lack of employment in New Jersey workers' compensation cases. Now, before you go, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of a our spin on this topic because I know not always the most exciting topic or most uh, applicable defense. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, first the court system update. What's going on in New Jersey? What's the post-COVID reopening plan? Uh, then I'm going to talk about the defense of lack of employment or not my employment. My goal is to give you some practical things that you can use today, uh, particularly in your independent contractor or, or maybe your uh, sole proprietor cases that you might be defending or looking at. Uh, and of course, uh, we are, this is completely live, so uh, please give me any questions that you have, any uh, concerns, so that we could talk about them today together. I think uh, even if your question is not about today's jurisdictional defense topic, I'm very happy to answer any question you might have. So how do you ask a question? Well, you type it into that silly little box. Uh, it will come to me. I will see your question pop up. At the end, I will answer as many questions as I can. I will first read your question out loud. I will say only your first name so you know I'm answering your question. I will not say your last name. And then I will answer your question to the best of my ability. And don't hold back on the questions. Uh, you might think, hey, this is something obvious or silly or you don't want to look dumb asking the question, but I bet you there's 10 other people that are uh, watching this webinar live or many more who are watching it on replay who probably had that same question come up to their mind and they wanted to know the answer. So feel free to ask that question and, and throw it in there and I will do my best to answer as many as I possibly can. All right. Let's talk about what's going on in the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Courts. Some of our courts are back to live and in person. It's really unfortunately coming down to what the particular judge wants or will tolerate. There has been some guidance uh, from the uh, chief judge beginning in uh, March saying that some proceedings uh, may come back uh, uh, for some in-person proceedings. But the judges are still allowed to call their lists or uh, discuss matters either telephone or via any kind of virtual web system. And they've sort of all uh, con condensed down or summarized onto Microsoft Teams. Uh, but this is still very much judge by judge. We've got some judges who are like, come on back, I want to see you. We've got a lot of judges who are still saying, no, nope, most things should be telephonic or virtual. Now, uh, the new guidance that was issued by the chief judge says that motion hearings must be done in person. And interestingly, that's not just, doesn't just say motions for med intent, so really any motions. Um, I know in our practice, uh, we've been sort of dealing with the changes in the way the uh, proceedings have been going on, and motions have really been difficult to push uh, through in New Jersey, particularly motions seeking to dismiss or bar uh, claims uh, or a motion for lack of prosecution. And you're gonna see my attorneys going to court more and more and more to push those motions and say, you know what, Judge? There really is no reason, and you really lack the discretion to keep denying or delaying these lack of prosecution um, motions that we have pending. Now, uh, the rule changed uh, uh, is that there is no adjournment because the petitioner uh, may have a pending accidental disability claim. That really impacts uh, our employers that are the governmental entities where the claimant has both a New Jersey workers' compensation claim and has brought a pension claim or a claim for accidental disability retirement through that system. In the past, while that accidental disability claim was kind of going, the workers' compensation proceeding was sort of stayed or stopped. Uh, there is now a new rule change uh, to the administrative code which says, nope, the workers' compensation proceeding should begin. Um, uh, next, 
the court is going to uh, retain that uh, limitations on adjournments where the petitioner's attorney keeps saying, coming to court and saying, hey, uh, I've got this medical exam pending, judge. Uh, give me another adjournment. Now the uh, judge or the, or the rule states, and I just want to uh, remind everyone of this, that there should be no adjournment because the petitioner is looking to get an exam or needs a medical exam unless they give you the name of the examiner and the date of the examination. So you're going to see my office, we're going to refuse to consent to any adjournments in a New Jersey workers' compensation case where the claimant's saying, I need to get an exam, unless they're telling us the date and time. And then, by the way, what we're going to be doing here is following up to make sure, we're going to contact the doctors often and say, hey, did they actually attend this examination? If they did not, our position is a motion to dismiss for lack of prosecution should be immediately filed. Uh, you're going to have, you're going to see us being much more aggressive in New Jersey about pushing on uh, claimants failing to prosecute their cases, failing to move their cases forward. It's a huge, uh, really, frustration that I have and all my clients uh, have this frustration that things in New Jersey have slowed to a, a standstill. Uh, you know, we've got judges with huge lists right now who are, like, for example, refusing to rule on motions for provider applications and stuff like that. And really, COVID's over, guys. Uh, we're done with this. We're going to start showing up in person. We're going to start pushing on those motions. And I really think that's best practice. All right. Let's move into today's topic. Today's topic is who is an employee? Well, the answer is uh, it is defined by our statute. And our statute has a definition section, section 36. And it really just says anyone who provides a service for financial consideration is your employee. Uh, oftentimes they'll have a pay stub and oftentimes you'll be able to go to the employer and say, hey, show me their pay stub and let me prove that this person is my employer, not my employee. Unfortunately, it gets a little bit more difficult uh, than saying, show me a pay stub or a W-2. Uh, the definition also says that an employee is someone who is not a longshoreman. Just remember that unlike our neighboring states, uh, someone who brings a longshore claim cannot bring a New Jersey workers' compensation claim. They are exclusive, or Longshore has an exclusive jurisdiction from New Jersey. So, you know, we have seen a lot of claims come in for dock rebuilding, marina repair, rebuilding, that type of thing. We're saying, hey, it's not a New Jersey workers' compensation case. This person is not my employee for the purposes of New Jersey workers' compensation law. Now, what about a sole proprietor? Are they, they are exempted from the statute, so they do not have to be covered, but they can choose to be, they, to voluntarily cover themselves for workers' compensation purposes. I want us to be thinking about sole proprietor cases uh, with a high degree of skepticism, right? Uh, particularly those cases we see here in New Jersey, the person owns a gas station or a mom and pop store, and they've excluded themselves from the workers' compensation policy as they've had the right to do for 20 years. And now they're 65 years old and it's time to retire. They've placed themselves back onto the policy and they have their unwitnessed, you know, miracle injury, which leaves them totally disabled. And what they've really done here is turn their workers' compensation policy into their retirement program, right? So we want to be very skeptical of sole proprietor claims, particularly where the sole proprietor over the course of their employment or their ownership of that business has excluded themselves consistently from their policy. Uh, and that, of course, goes for owners. You can choose or not choose to be covered by workers' compensation, and those should be red flag cases. All right. What about illegal employments, Greg? Uh, lots of day laborers, lots of landscaper employees. Uh, these are people that do not maybe have a working status in this country. I mean, we can call them pre-citizens. Uh, what about our pre-citizens who have an illegal employment? Again, no employment eligibility in this country. 
Well, they are covered by the workers' compensation law. There are a myriad case law that says that they would be covered. Of course, the challenges in those cases are going to be things like establishing what's the weekly wage. Uh, what, what should they get paid at if they were expecting to be paid $100 a day or $200 a day? And really now the going rate's about $250 a day uh, to be doing just some basic routine labor. Um, we also have the challenge in those cases uh, where perhaps this illegally employed laborer is on a work site where there are many um, uh, different contractors or subcontractors working. And what does that laborer do when they get injured at that work site? They don't really know who they work for. I mean, they're certainly not wearing anybody's uniform, and they haven't obviously filled out any paperwork uh, for that employer. What I've seen them do is generally take out their cell phone, because everybody has them, and they take a picture of every single work truck that's on the um, you know, the property or at the, the job site, and they just bring a workers' compensation claim against all of them, right? So sort of sorting out who their actual employer is uh, is going to be a very important part of our uh, defense. Next, what about minors? So New Jersey does allow for minors to collect into workers' compensation. They can elect to collect uh, if they decide, and the minor is defined as under 18, and if they decide to collect uh, a workers' compensation benefit, uh, then they it's exclusive. They cannot sue the employer. But they can also choose not to collect the workers' compensation benefits and sue the employer directly. The benefit for a minor in New Jersey is double the statutory benefit. Um, all right, let's talk about who is not an employee, right? How do we know they're not our employee? Well, anybody who's a vendor, uh, we're, we're looking at somebody like a subcontractor, of course, an independent contractor. We'll talk about the definition of an independent contractor uh, next. We have a lot of issues in New Jersey with people who come forward and claim to be an employee of, an, of, a, of a certain employer uh, and not have documentation or bring in documentation that they're alleged employer, which is really not good documentation. For example, New Jersey worker compensation courts do not care about tax status. We do not care about whether the person on their uh, tax status is saying that they are an independent contractor or an employee. New Jersey is going to apply its own test in the workers' compensation proceeding to determine if that person's an employee or not. The second thing I want to just like remind everyone about, and particularly in the independent contractor context, which we'll talk about in a second, is I am not interested in looking at someone's tax return as proof of A, where they worked, or B, how much money they made. I think tax returns are just about the worst evidence of that, and that's because tax returns are subject to revision for up to three years after you file them. So you can basically say you worked for someone or you collected a certain amount in wages, and then later on, change it and say, well, just kidding, uh, here's what I actually made in terms of wages and my adjusted gross income should be based on something else. The second reason I don't like them is the, the there is no um, uh, testing device uh, to determine if the person's wages that they've put down on their uh, tax returns is accurate. You could overstate or understate, and really, if they're not audited, there's no real way of determining if that's the correct amount of wages. So I do not like constructing a wage based on someone's tax returns. I don't think that's a useful or a valid way of doing it, and that should be challenged in most cases. All right, let's talk about dual employment. New Jersey does recognize dual employment, particularly in the Lent employee uh, context. Um, years ago, Lois Law Firm had Lent employees. In fact, all of my employees, uh, I had about 50 employees at the time, were employees of a PEO who then took care of HR and benefits issues and lent the employees back to myself. Well, now we're about 100 employees, and that's not uh, really financially a great plan for us anymore, so they're all my employees again. So 
Uh, lent employees, though, will be deemed to be the employee of both the lender and the, um, the leasing company, uh, generally because they are going to pass all the tests uh, that they would have to pass to be my employee. And that, I'll talk about the next slide when we talk about things like who directs and controls them during the day. Well, clearly, it's going to be uh, the leasing employer, the one who's borrowing those employees. So that's utilizing the PEO structure. Oftentimes, though, it's going to become moot because the PEO contract with the employer whom, to whom the employee is being lent, right, the general employer, uh, it, there's going to be something in the contract that says, hey, if you get whacked with a workers' compensation claim, we're going to indemnify you because that's one of the purposes of us being your PEO is that we would take on the uh, benefits and perhaps the insurance liabilities that you would have as the uh, leasing employer. The next one is contractor and subcontractor. And again, you're going to see that all the time uh, where you've got a work site or a job. I'm thinking of something in the construction trades. We've got multiple subcontractors. Under the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Law, where a subcontractor fails to place a policy of coverage of workers' compensation, exposure and liability for that workers' compensation claim will travel up the chain to the next general contractor in that project chain. And so for that reason, there will be coverage the law will really search through who's available on the job site to determine um, who is the correct party to have coverage for that employee. What the uh, court is going to look to both in the contractor and subcontractor um, context or the lent employee context is who has direct uh, direction and control over that employee. And that's going to be the same thing uh, in the independent contractor context. You know, we'll have employers who will say, well, these aren't my employees, these are independent contractors. And they say, well, look, look at my tax status. It's a 1099 tax status. They're, you know, they, they've been doing this for 10 years. I said, that's cute. That's sweet. That's wonderful. Uh, but the workers' compensation court is not going to simply accept whatever your tax status is. They're going to say, we need to go through the tests uh, that have been established in the case law for determining who's an independent contractor under New Jersey's law. And that's been very specific over the years. First, the most important test is really who directs and controls the employment of that employee. And if it is you, uh, employer, even though you're saying, hey, they're not my employee, they're an independent contractor, but all day long you're directing and controlling them and you have the right to hire and fire them, uh, you're providing them um, you know, the, all their work, they only work for you, they're going to be deemed to be your employee. The other test that the court will look at with and again, these are, they don't have to answer yes to all of them, just to some of these tests. Uh, are the businesses of the alleged independent contractor and the alleged general employer the same, right? Uh, is it a law firm who's claiming that all of its attorneys are independent contractors? Well, Greg, they're engaged in the practice of law and they're all attorneys and you hold yourself out as a law firm uh, providing the services of attorneys. That's really too close. Uh, we really are going to find that to be, um, you know, the same business. Uh, how about, um, do they have their own entity? Right, you know, we see these uh, circumstances, particularly around transportation and trucking, where we have someone who says, "Oh, these aren't my employees; these aren't my drivers. Those are independent contractors." And okay, cool, sweet, cute. Do they have their own bill of lading? Do they have their own Department of Transportation identification numbers? Um, do they have their own business card? Do they have a registered business? Do they even have a business name that's different than yours? Those are all the sorts of indicia of actually being an independent contractor or a separate business that the court is going to want to look to. 
The other thing the court's going to look to is who controls or determines the nature of the work, both the flow of work, the types of tools that are used, uh, the provenance of equipment or materials, who's bringing the equipment and materials to the work site. All of those sorts of questions are going to be things that the court's going to look at to try to determine uh, whether or not this other alleged entity is truly separate from you or really just your employee. Uh, the last thing I'm going to mention is whether or not the entity has its own workers' compensation coverage, right? That's going to be one of those factors where, hey, frequently we're not going to see that, but if the other alleged entity has its own workers' comp coverage, that's going to be a really powerful argument that I'm going to be able to make before the judge of compensation, where I'm going to say, hey, judge, um, look, they got their own coverage. They're going to bring a claim against their own coverage. They really shouldn't be over here bringing a claim against my insured or my employer or my self-insured. I, you know, more times than not, the judge is going to say, okay, I find that to be pretty dispositive. And the reason they're really going to be amenable to that type of argument is because they're going to say, look, if I deny the claim against Greg's client, against the alleged insured or alleged self-insured, at least they have some other party they can go against and collect benefits for this um, harm they sustain. And that, again, would be their own workers' compensation policy, which kind of makes sense. We've also seen judges accept occupational accident policies, which have essentially the same coverages as a workers' compensation policy, and particularly seen that been successful in the context of transportation clients. So that's uh, something that you can utilize uh, if you want to request that your independent operators, independent contractor, trucking and transportation uh, alleged employees have their own occupational accident policies. You know, that's something that we're very able to defend in a workers' compensation court. All right. That's just a brief overview. We're really just scratching the surface of this topic, but I hope it's brought uh, to mind some questions and some maybe thoughts that you want to share with us. So uh, this is the time to type into that lovely box uh, any question you have. And again, I'm not going to limit it to just this topic in New Jersey workers' compensation. It really could be any topic in New Jersey workers' compensation. And today we did touch upon, A, uh, the reopening of the courts and how we're now going to be really doubling down and becoming much more aggressive on attempting to get our motions moved and get dismissals and get cases moved forward, get things back on the trial calendar. And then we talked about today the defense of lack of employment uh, and the definition of employee, independent contractor, and the potential for dual employment in the New Jersey workers' compensation context. All right, so without further ado, let me open up my question panel. And I know this can't be right. I don't see any questions in here. Uh, I know this topic is, uh, you know, an exciting and interesting one, so I'm hoping that as I watch uh, some questions pop up, uh, but I'm not seeing it. All right, maybe uh, I did a good job explaining it, but more likely than not, uh, maybe you're typing them and you're just typing them slow. Hit send. Let's take a look and see what we got over here. Uh, in the meantime, while we're looking for some questions to pop up, um, I'm just going to remind you that it doesn't have to be about today's topic. Last month we talked about the second injury fund and total disability cases and ways of reducing exposure in those. Um, all right, I'm starting to see attendees drop off and I'm seeing no questions popping in here. So I'm going to make the presumption that you got it. Uh, let's jump in. Next month we're going to meet at the, in the fourth Monday of the month. We're going to be talking about uh, defenses in general, uh, general defenses. And we're going to deep dive into jurisdictional defenses in New Jersey workers' compensation cases. So please join us for that. All right, everybody. I hope you had a great uh, Easter and a wonderful uh, return to work. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.